One Week Season. going on OWS fam welcome to the week eight edition of the OWS angles podcast I am your host I am your guest I am jam to win throw this baby on 1.5 x speed or 2x speed and let's get started with a mid-season 13 game slate I opened up this slate on Monday night or Tuesday morning and counted up the games and then recounted them and then recounted them again. Cause it was like, wait, what am I missing? There's 13 games on this slate. So this is actually only our second 13 game slate of the season. Uh, the other one was week one. Then we had those weeks with the double Monday night games. We had the weeks with the London games. We've had a couple bye weeks. So yeah, very strange to suddenly have a week with, Every team playing on the main slate, uh, you know, just only three island games this week uh, and no teams on by in week eight. So not sure where the uh, scheduling went to where this ended up happening, but uh, interesting setup where we have this large slate. lot of teams with high implied point totals and large spreads in their games, teams that are implied to win somewhat easily, but also score quite a few points. And then a lot of closer spread games with low implied point totals. Uh, as you know, I don't lean into implied point totals as much as many other DFS players do. So uh, some interesting things that we're finding that I'm able to find this week in a week where maybe what the field is seeing is going to be a little bit different from what I'm seeing. Obviously there's a lot of overlap uh, as well. So uh, with that, let's kind of talk about some of the things that I'm seeing on this slate real quickly. If you're new here, uh, you are probably watching this on YouTube if you're new here, but uh, if you're new here, you can also catch this on the one week season podcast feed. The concept behind the angles podcast is we have the angles email that goes out on Thursdays to all OWS members, free members, subscribers, et cetera. And the angles email, you can also find it in the scroll on the site on, um, on Friday, on Saturday, but the angles email breaks down this, the macro overview of the slate, kind of looking at what teams are on the slate, what teams and marquee players are missing from the slate, what the implied point totals say about the slate and how things set up from that perspective. Uh, then in the Angles podcast, we try to drill down a little bit deeper in terms of what the salary structures might look like and what the available players might look like, who might be popular, who might be unpopular, and some of the places that we can go on the site in order to find edges. Uh, there are some interesting leverage angles available on this slate. I just did my Roto-Grinder show with Squirrel Patrol, and he ended up labeling this after our conversation, ended up labeling this the week of the forgotten players where there's kind of a lot of guys that people would typically be gravitating toward and aren't necessarily gravitating toward this week. Uh, so yeah, it's an interesting week again, 13 games. So that provides a lot of opportunities for us. 13 games ownership tends to get spread out a little bit more. So the chalky players are a little bit less chalky than they might be on a 10 game slate. Interestingly, the chalky players on a week like this, where there's more to like, uh, actually end up being less chalky than the weeks where there's really nothing to like. So last week being an example of, we often talk about how chalk forms no matter what. So last week, the pieces that were chalk might not have been chalk at all on a typical week where there's a lot more to like. And then they're chalk and they're like over-owned compared to typical chalk because there's nothing to like. So people kind of convince themselves that those spots that they're on are the far and away best spots. So yeah, ownership should be spread out. But at the same time, 13 games means that there's not, the people can't get to everything. So there are going to be attractive spots on this slate that people will not be getting to. So uh, the structure of how we approach this conversation week in and week out is always a little bit different. It's always based on what the slate provides for us. Uh, I guess last thing I'll say here is what we often talk about is, is DFS is a puzzle. And it's a strategy game. It's a game of how we put together that week's puzzle. So we try to take this podcast 
and figure out what the picture on the box looks like for this week's puzzle. Uh, so again, every week is different. Therefore, every week our approach to the Angles podcast is a little bit different. This week, I'm going to go position by position, not talking about players so much as talking about, I guess I will be talking about some players through this, but so much talking about the macro structure and what makes this slate particularly unique from a standpoint of what this slate provides and how we can build around it, how the field will be building around it, uh, how we can kind of look for leverage and whatnot. So starting at the quarterback position, right off the top, right? Very interesting week in that we have the expensive guys in Hertz, Mahomes, Lamar, all in attractive spots, all teams, all in games where they are well-equipped to win those games by a large margin, well-equipped to score points. And then we have, you know, Dak is drawing some ownership sort of in the mid-range. Uh, and then we have some five low 5K guys that I'm drawn toward that maybe most of the field won't necessarily be drawn toward. We'll touch on some of those guys in the pod. The rest of them will be obviously in the player grid. And uh, if you're new to OWS, player grid is my full player pool broken down by blue chips, light blue chips, build arounds, which is like teams or game environments that I'm building around. So it's not necessarily, oh, I like this player, but it's like, I like this often. So I'm going to mix and match pieces from this offense or from this game environment. Uh, then building blocks, which is where I piece together like, hey, I'm going to play these three players together or these two players together uh, as sort of a block of guaranteed points or as a stack. Uh, to sort of build some rosters around. And then the bonus pieces, which are the one-off pieces or the offenses that don't necessarily fit into the blue chip, the light blue chip, the build arounds, but I'm still going to have some exposure to those pieces. So uh, if you're new to OWS through this podcast, through this video, you can find all of that in the player grid, in the scroll on OWS. In fact, uh, since we are sitting here on the computer, uh, for most of you are probably at this point, watching this instead of listening to this, uh, I can show you real quickly where you find the scroll. So here is the homepage of OWS one week season uh, up until Friday night or Saturday morning, you'll have a game featured down here and then the scroll will be featured here. You can also go up to NFL and click on the scroll. And what the scroll is, is all of our late week content in one place. So these are all of our late week strategy and player breakdown articles and you just scroll through and you jump to whichever article you want to jump to. So this starts populating on Friday night, gets populated throughout the day on Saturday. Uh, this will be where you will find my player grid in James' player grid. That is my player pool for the week. You can also find Mike's player pool, Poppy's player pool. These are all really successful DFS players, really sharp guys who provide content for the site. Sonic, uh, Millie Maker winner, really sharp MME player. You can find his player pool uh, on down the list. Also, uh, if you don't get the angles email, you can find it here in the scroll. Okay. So quarterback position, um, the most interesting component on this slate is the arrival of Sam Darnold in the player pool, Sam Darnold at only 4,300 on DraftKings, and sort of materially changes the way that this slate sets up. So the first thing we have to ask with Sam Darnold is, can he step in? Can he step in and run this offense? Uh, it'll be an interesting experiment to see what happens with Brock Purdy off the field, Sam Darnold stepping in, because the discussion around Brock Purdy, which is more binary than any, any discussion really should be, there's a lot of nuance in this, but the discussion is, you know, is, is Brock Purdy actually elite or is he just a function of this Kyle Shanahan system? Uh, now we get Sam Darnold stepping in. Well, Realistically, Sam Darnold, in terms of tools, he has more tools than Brock Purdy, physical tools in terms of processing and ability to run this offense. That's what we don't know. That's one of the things that makes Brock Purdy special is how well he sees the field and how quickly he can process things and how well he can run this Kyle Shanahan scheme. But Kyle Shanahan scheme, extremely quarterback friendly. One of the things that I've talked about this week is Bobby Slowick, the Texans offensive coordinator, you know, came from the 49ers, spent a lot of time with Shanahan, learned under him, actually started out coaching under Mike Shanahan, uh, Kyle Shanahan's dad, longtime NFL head coach, Super Bowl winner, and Bobby Slowick's Texans offense. They don't have the best offensive line, and yet you can't sack C.J. Stroud. You know, one of the best examples of this is you go through, in fact, I'll pull it up on my end, but you go through the Pittsburgh Steelers game logs. And this is this has been the case for multiple teams playing against the Texans. Uh, and you see two sacks last week, four sacks the game before, zero sacks. That was against Houston. 
four sacks the week before that, six sacks the week before that, three sacks the week before that. Uh, so you can't sack CJ Stroud because this offense is so well designed to get the ball out so quickly. Uh, Tank Dell and Nico Collins are both among, I believe it's both among the top 12 in the NFL, maybe it's top 16 in the NFL in yards per route run. Uh, frequently in these Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, Bobby Slowick offenses, the yards of separation when a wide receiver is targeted, like how wide open they are when they're targeted, it's so much greater than other teams. So all that's a function of how this scheme is built, how this scheme is run. And so Sam Darnold, who was getting rave reports in training camp for the 49ers, actually looked good down the stretch last year with the Panthers as well. Uh, Sam Darnold more than likely will be able to step in and run this offense really well. So in terms of how we think about that for our rosters, in terms of playing Sam Darnold, uh, one of the first things that I'll mention, and I think this is instructive, is that Sam Darnold is currently projecting on, on OWS for 10% ownership. This is Friday, so a lot can change in ownership projections by Saturday night, uh, Sunday morning. But as of right now, projecting to be one of the higher owned quarterbacks, I would expect that to hold. If Sam Darnold ends up being projected at 10 to 12% owned on Saturday night, Sunday morning, I would expect him to have at least 50% higher ownership in high dollar single entry contests. So you could open up the game changer, the $1,500 single entry contest on DraftKings, whatever Sam Darnold's ownership projection is, uh, I would expect it to be 50, at least 50% higher there. So if he comes in at 12% projected ownership, I would expect him to be at least 18% owned in the game changer, which again, just tells you that a lot of sharp players are probably going to, or it doesn't tell you because this is a guess, but I say that to say, I would expect a lot of sharp players to recognize the value of plugging in Sam Darnold this week. So uh, if you've been kind of thinking, well, how do I assess the Sam Darnold situation? Is it sharp to play him? Definitely sharp to play him. Does it work out in the small sample size of one week? We don't know. We'll have to see, but uh, definitely sharp to play him. And one of the things to think about there is in terms of salary allocation, Sam Darnold is so cheap that the way that I've sort of painted the picture in my mind is, let's say that you play Patrick Mahomes. In order to play Patrick Mahomes, you probably have to take a cheap wide receiver. So Patrick Mahomes plus a 4K wide receiver, or Sam Darnold plus an 8K wide receiver. What ends up benefiting you more? Well, these 4K wide receivers, let's say Curtis Samuel, Rashid Shahid, these are the guys who you know that a lot of times they can get you only seven, eight points, but they're also capable of putting up 14 points, 16 points, 18 points. And it's because of that that you feel pretty good rostering them. Obviously, Curtis Samuel could have put up a 24-pointer. Rashid Shahid hasn't done it yet in his career, but could put up a 23, 24-pointer. But you're rostering them saying like, man, if this guy gets, you know, bring it back to a few weeks ago where I had a really nice week and had 14% Curtis Samuel and or 12% Curtis Samuel and 14% Rashid Shahid and Shahid scored 18 points and Curtis Samuel scored 14. And it was like, man, look at this. I nailed the cheap wide receivers who hit. And that was 14 to 18 points. So typically, if you get points in that price range on these types of wide receivers, you feel pretty good about that. And realistically, Sam Darnold should be able to get into that 14 to 18 point range without having that six, seven, eight point downside. So if you are able to play Sam Darnold and you pair him with Jamar Chase or you pair him with AJ Brown and that guy goes for 30 or 35, well, let's look at these high priced quarterbacks, right? You've got Patrick Mahomes, he had his huge game last week, but other than that, it's all been kind of 21 to 26 pointers. Uh, Jalen Hurts hasn't had a huge game yet, uh, but consistently kind of in this 24, 25, 27, 29 point range. Lamar Jackson had his huge game last week. He's had three big games, but also a bunch of games down in the 20 point range. So you could very easily take the 4K wide receiver. He has a great game. He gets you 14 points and then you get 25 points from your 8K quarterback and you're sitting just under 40 points combined. Whereas Sam Darnold, probably gets you at least 14 to 18 points. He's capable of getting 22 to 25 points. Uh, and then these high price wide receivers, again, obviously they could score 17, they could score 15, but they can score 30, 32, 35 points. Uh, Jamar Chase has already put up 50 points this year. AJ Brown has already put up 40 points this year. So the opportunity is there for Sam Darnold plus one of these high price wide receivers to combine for 60 points or more while one of the high-priced quarterbacks and the, the 4K wide receiver uh, combines for 40 points. So there's definitely a lot that this opens up. Having said all that, 
this arrival of Sam Darnold on the slate. And when I say that I would expect Sam Darnold to be higher owned in high dollar single entry, well, that's also typically our sharpest competition. So that would mean that if Sam Darnold is, say, 10% owned in large field play, well, probably the people we're really competing against for first place, the people who have the bankroll to be playing these high dollar single entry contests and are confident enough to be putting money in there because that's just a small portion of what they're playing on the week and they're playing even more in other spots. Well, those people are probably overweight the field on Sam Darnold in large field play. Uh, So again, all of this serves to draw ownership and attention away from guys who really aren't that much higher priced than Sam Darnold. So I say that because last night, Thursday night, I built a practice build. It was one of the first practice builds that I built and was like, oh, I really like this. I'm going to put it in some some of the contests that I have reserved uh, was a Desmond Ritter roster. So obviously then paired with Drake London. And I was able to fit in AJ Brown, Jamar Chase, and I think it was Alvin Kamara on that roster. So maybe it was even Christian McCaffrey. Um, uh, So you're able to fit in like three of these high-priced guys with Desmond Ritter with Mac Jones, with Derek Carr, with Sam Howell. So you don't necessarily have to go all the way down to Sam Darnold in order to put together a roster like that. And these guys will have much lower ownership than Sam Darnold this week because Sam Darnold is so much cheaper and so he is so much sharper. So kind of keep that in mind as well, that there's, there's positive aspects to playing Sam Darnold, but then there's also positive aspects to the fact that people will be playing Sam Darnold. And you could say, okay, on my non-Sam Darnold rosters, obviously you can go Dak Prescott is going to be popular and you can go up to the expensive quarterbacks, but also think about these kind of low 5k quarterbacks. And I'll, I'll talk more about some of them in the player grid, which ones I like, why I like them, but think about these low 5k quarterbacks and what the edge is in terms of these guys being way lower owned than they might otherwise be because so much of this ownership is flowing down to Sam Darnold this week. Uh, Next position we'll talk about is the running back position. Um, I'm going to hit on kind of a a few key notes on some of these players Uh, running back similar to quarterback in that there are options from all the way at the top, Christian McCaffrey, 9,200, all the way down to technically all the way down to Pierre Strong at 4,300. Uh, Pierre Strong should have about 50% of the Cleveland backfield work. Horrible matchup against Seattle. Pierre Strong has zero receptions on the year, so who knows how much or how little he'll be used in the pass game in this, in this kind of larger role. But uh, point being, you can get all the way down there in pricing at running back with a guy who has like a real legit role. Um, then obviously there's guys kind of in the, in the 5k range, uh, Damian Pierce. I'll talk about him in the player grid. So I'll skip over him right here. Ramondre Stevenson, Brees Hall, and then just above the 5k range, Bajan Robinson, Isaiah Pacheco, Deandre Swift. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot that you can do kind of at running back. So I want to touch on a couple key points on some of these higher priced running backs. Uh, I, don't want to spend too much time talking down on players because guys can still hit. And I don't want this to be me talking you off of particular players, but I will give you some interesting data points on some of the expensive guys that kind of has me maybe lower on them than the field will be. Not to say that I won't be playing them, but lower on them than the field will be. And then some interesting data points that will have me higher on some other guys. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, he has played five games. We talk a lot about George Kittle's splits without Debo Samuel on the field. Uh, if you're unaware of those, I'll, I guess I'll touch on those real quickly, jump out of sequence and go to the tight end position. But uh, since the start of 2021, George Kittle, six games without Debo Samuel. His three bad games in that stretch were 12 to 14 points. So six games without Debo, three of them were, quote, bad. They were 12 to 14 points, which is still pretty good at his price tag, at his position for the opportunity to take advantage of this upside, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. Uh, typically, we look at Kittle's game logs, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's got these monster games, but also these one-point games and these seven-point games and these five-point games, and so it's hard to pull the trigger on him. So recognize, again, six games is not a massive sample size, but it's large enough to say, like, with a pretty high degree of confidence or a pretty high hit rate, you're going to get double digit points from Kittle. Obviously there's going to be the random game where Debo is out and Kittle does put up four points. And maybe that happens this week, but then the next time Debo is out, Kittle is going to put up 
12 plus points again. Uh, so six out of six times, he's put up at least 12 points, uh, 12 to 14 points. The other three games, the three games in which he hit, quote, hit without Debo on the field were 25 points, 33 points, and 42 points. So the fact that 50% of the time without Debo, he's gone for these 5x to 8x games, his 5x to 8x his salary type games. And then the fact that when he misses, he's still getting you kind of a solid score for a player priced at 5,400, right? Look at the $5,400 wide receivers where Kittle would hurt you is if he gets that four point game, that seven point game. Uh, but if he's getting up into the double digits, plenty of times you're going to take a swing on a 5K wide receiver with ceiling who doesn't reach that ceiling, but ends up getting you um, those points. So yeah, I think that uh, Kittle is a guy we want to be thinking about this week, obviously with Debo off the field. But one of the things that has gone under discussed in the midst of, you know, everybody always focusing on Kittle without Debo is Christian McCaffrey without Debo. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, he had that 50 pointer a couple weeks ago. His second and third best games with the 49ers were a 40 pointer last year and a 34 pointer last year. And both of those came with Debo off the field. So uh, Saquon, uh, CMC has played five games without Debo on the field for the 49ers. And uh, two of his three best games with the 49ers have come in those instances of Debo being off the field. So Christian McCaffrey, very interesting. Christian McCaffrey paired with Sam Darnold, very interesting. Again, these are Friday ownership projections, but as of this morning, Sam Darnold, we had him at 10% and Kittle at only 5%. So I would expect a lot of these to be a skinny stacks with Brock, with uh, Brock Purdy, with, with Sam Darnold, as in not Sam Darnold plus two pieces of the 49ers, but Sam Darnold plus one. Uh, and then obviously a lot of those will be Ayuk, some of them will be Kittle, but also like if Kittle's only 5% owned, there's going to be plenty of Kittle without Sam Darnold. So you can't have that much Darnold plus Kittle rosters if if Kittle indeed ends up only 5% owned. Uh, And then you'll have a decent amount of Darnold plus CMC, but Darnold plus CMC is a sharp way to go, kind of lowers your total dollar exposure to CMC because you're pairing him with the quarterback who, uh, you know, both of those CMC hit weeks. One was with Garoppolo, one was with Purdy. Uh, the quarterback scored about 18 points for the 49ers in both of those big CMC games. So, uh, and obviously capable of scoring more than that because CMC is so involved in the passing game. It's not like you're taking away points from the quarterback when you roster CMC with the 49ers quarterback. Uh, a couple other high priced guys, um, pre touchdown PPR points per game. Again, a really good metric for us understanding underlying usage and what these guys do. It kind of filters out the noise of, DraftKings bonuses and touchdowns and all that. Um, Saquon Barkley, 13.3 pre-touchdown PPR points per game on the year, 13.3. Tony Pollard, 13.2. Travis Etienne, 13.4. All of these guys priced at 7K to 8K. Uh, DeAndre Swift, 15 pre-touchdown PPR points per game. He also had two big games, 15 if we filter out week one where his usage wasn't there yet. Kenneth Gainwell led the backfield that week. Uh, So weeks two through seven when the backfield has been DeAndre Swift's, uh, that has been 15 pre-touchdown PPR points per game. And he's way lower priced than these other guys. Uh, Filter out weeks two and three, week two where Kenneth Gainwell didn't play, week three where Swift had another big game. So let's even filter out those two best games. Uh, Swift still at 13.3 pre-touchdown PPR points per game. So putting him right in line with Etienne, Pollard, Saquon. Furthermore, Saquon, four carries inside the 10-yard line this year. Etienne, six carries inside the 10-yard line this year. DeAndre Swift, 12 carries inside the 10-yard line this year. So the touchdowns, only three touchdowns on the year for DeAndre Swift, but the opportunities are there for him to spike for a multi-touchdown game. I will continue to be overweight DeAndre Swift until he puts up his next 30 pointer and his price rises and his ownership rises. Uh, every time he's missing, he's, I think he has one, one game of like 10 points. All the other games have been this like 17 to 18 point range. So even when he's missing, he's not hurting your roster. And uh, he has that 30 pointer. He's going to have another one of those at some point, given his usage uh, on this offense. Uh, John Robinson also really underpriced. If we take out week seven where he didn't play, 14.2 pre-touchdown PPR points per game. The drawback on the drawbacks on Bijan Robinson, his uh, matchup against the Tennessee run defense, and the fact that he just does not get usage inside the 10-yard line, or at least has not to this point in the year. So we still have to factor in everything. Yeah, his pre-touchdown usage uh, is really good. His pre-touchdown numbers are really good, but his opportunities for touchdowns 
A, in this offense, B, against a Tennessee team that's allowed one and a half touchdowns per game near the bottom of the league, uh, or I guess you could say near the top of the league and fewest touchdowns allowed per game. Uh, and then in his role where he's not used much inside the 10-yard line, uh, kind of tougher for him to add those touchdowns, right? But he could have that 17, 18-point pre-touchdown game, and then he scores the one touchdown. He's up to 20, 23, 24 points. Okay, that's a function of doing this uh, – solo podcast on video now i'm gonna pause for a water break every once in a while i would in the past have just paused the recording for that okay so uh those are some interesting data points uh last thing i want to mention on high price guys alvin Kamara, 19.7 pre-touchdown ppr points per game 17 even if we take out last week where obviously the the rushing the rushing was there the receptions were there even if we filter out last week, 17.1 heading into last week. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I actually still have not calculated his pre-touchdown PPR points after last week, but heading into last week, Christian McCaffrey was at 17.6. Tyreek Hill on the season is at 20.5. Jamar Chase, 17.6. A.J. Brown, 19. So all that to say, Kamara, 19.7, 17.1 heading into last week. Um very much still underpriced, except does Kamara still have the same role? So that's the one question in my mind. Dennis Allen was asked this week about Kamara's heavy usage. And what Dennis Allen said was, you know, was that specific to this last week's game about uh, Kamara's heavy usage. And Dennis Allen said that uh, Kendra Miller had a shoulder issue that they were wanting to protect. And Jamal Williams, they had him on a snap count in his first game back from injury. So uh, Kendra Miller, again, zero touches last week. So that explains it's not just, oh, we're just using Kamara now. It's more a situation of, well, we're not using Kendra Miller this week. Uh, and then again, Jamal Williams on a snap count. So Kamara is going to remain central to this offense, but it won't surprise me if that workload starts getting scaled back a little bit. So still very much in the mix for me this week, but uh, I'm kind of looking at those pre-touchdown PPR numbers as something that will come down over the next three, four, five weeks of the season uh, because his role probably won't be quite as robust. So still a very interesting piece, but sort of some uh, additional pieces to talk about there. Uh, that's going to swing us over. I'm actually going to leave the top end of the wide receiver range alone, but similar thing at wide receiver to these other positions is that we have viable options all the way across the board. Obviously, once you get below the Kendrick Bourne level, things start to dry up a little bit and you're more in the dart throw type of range, but all the way down to Kendrick Bourne, where you're getting below 5K, you don't typically get, uh, get guys below 5K with robust roles and things that we can really like about them and feel confident in. Uh, so wide receiver, same as these other positions, just across the board. So what we start seeing here is the breadth of like, approaches you can take to roster construction is so wide. There's so many different things that you can do in terms of how you want to put your rosters together. Uh, so think about that, but then also think about what is everybody else doing? And, and um, if you're an OWS user, you know that Hilo really breaks down the common roster construction approach in the end around and how we can exploit what everybody else is doing. So, uh, but yeah, be thinking about that of like, what are some of the ways that other people won't be putting their rosters together? Because when there's so many different avenues of how we can piece together salary, when there's viable players in every price tier at every position, the field is still going to end up on one sort of common type roster construction approach or one or two or three common roster construction type approaches. So where can we do things a little bit differently? Uh, mentioned the pre-touchdown PPR uh, points per game on Tyreek, Jamar Chase, A.J. Brown. They're far and away the top options at wide receiver in terms of raw point expectations. Uh, you could throw Cooper Cup in there as well if you think that, that uh, he can get up to kind of that 35-point range in this matchup against the Cowboys. Uh, then you've got the overpriced guys who do have ceiling, which is uh, CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Waddell, Brandon Ayuk against a Bengals defense that does a great job isolating alpha options ever since Lou Anarumo has been there as the defensive coordinator. In fact, Anarumo's first year, Lex Moralia on OWS would track every single week uh, in his OWS collective notes at the bottom of the NFL Edge games. He would track every single week what 
the number one option for each team had done against the Bengals defense. Uh, that was the year where people thought Lou Anarumo was a joke, that he was the fallback option for the Bengals. The Bengals were bad. And week in and week out, teams were attacking the Bengals defense without the options. Week in and week out, they were getting disappointed and not even noticing that they kept getting burned by the same thing over and over again. Uh, this whole time, the Bengals have been really good at filtering out alpha options. They're number four in DVOA this year against wide receiver ones. Uh, so Brandon Ayuk is actually kind of underpriced compared or properly priced uh, compared to some of these other guys I just mentioned, but given the matchup, maybe a little bit overpriced. Uh, Devontae Smith, uh, that's kind of the list of guys who are overpriced, but again, can hit for ceiling. Uh, then we get down to Adam Thielen, who... Yeah, let's dive into this real quickly. So Adam Thielen, 19.5 pre-touchdown PPR points per game. If we throw out week one when he didn't, didn't quite have this role yet, the offense hadn't figured out how they were using him yet. So throw out week one, 19.5. Again, Kamara, 19.7. Tyreek, 20.5. Jamar Chase, 17.6. A.J. Brown, 19. Uh, and then to further put Thielen's 19.5 into context, other guys priced around him, Michael Pittman, 13, Chris Alave, 12.3, Garrett Wilson, 12.0, Amari Cooper, 10.5. So that shows you how underpriced Adam Thielen is. And the way I look at this is Adam Thielen is an extension of the run game for the Panthers. Adam Thielen's average depth of target is 7.8 yards down the field. That's not very far down the field. So if you are Houston, especially if you're Houston and you take control of this game, you have a lead, how much are you going to say, oh, we got to sell out and and stop Adam Thielen on these underneath throws. Typically what you see, and this is why this cover two shell coverage has been so in vogue over the last couple of years, is instead of giving up big plays, you say, you know what? This, uh, talked about this already this year, but this is what the Patriots did for a long time with their bend but don't break defense, their discipline habits, their ability to not make mistakes uh, on both sides of the ball. It's kind of ev evaporated this year, but uh, is they would basically... The concept of the old Patriots defenses was most teams are going to make mistakes. If you force them to drive the entire field, drive in and drive out throughout the game, don't give up explosive plays, make them have 8, 10, 12, 14 play drives every single time, they're going to stall out in the red zone or they're going to get a sack, take a sack have a penalty, have a drop pass, have something earlier in the drive that forces them to punt, kills that drive and forces them to punt. So if you are playing against the Panthers, are you going to say, you know what, let's get aggressive. Let's, let's, everybody kind of smash down on Adam Thielen, make sure that he's not catching these short passes. Or are you going to say, let's just force them to drive the field. We'll give up six, seven, eight yard passes to Adam Thielen all day. And that's kind of what defenses have been doing is they've been saying, look, like Bryce Young is young. He's taking sacks. He's holding onto the ball too long. He's misreading the field at times. Like at some point in a drive, he's going to make a mistake and they will have to punt the ball back to us. So yeah, we're fine giving up two catches here, a catch there, three catches there to Adam Thielen. Uh, so because of that, Adam Thielen, this situation he's in where he's just piling up targets, piling up catches, piling up yards. Uh, I don't expect it to necessarily change anytime soon. So uh, he's very interesting. Then we've got this, uh, this group of like Chris Alave and below where Alave still hasn't done it yet, right? Going back to last year, he still hasn't had the monster game yet, but uh, 100 plus yards in two games this year. Uh, I think it was 84 yards in another 96 in another, let me pull up his game logs and confirm that. Uh, yeah, 104, 112, 86, 96. Uh, only one touchdown this year, only five touchdowns so far in his career, but he's not incapable of putting up a two touchdown game. Uh, it will happen at some point where he pairs up that 100 yards with those two touchdowns against an Indianapolis defense that has been hit for big plays throughout the year. People don't seem likely to gravitate toward Chris Olave this week. You got the Jags wide receivers where obviously Christian Kirk is a strong play, but Calvin Ridley just a few weeks ago was priced up in the 7K price range. And everyone is happy to play Calvin Ridley at that price tag. He was 7,200, 7,200 weeks two and three. And now he's down here at 5,800. And it seems like nobody is going to be on him. Uh, he has a game of eight for 101 and a touchdown, a game of seven for 122. Uh, he has two touchdowns on the year. He is the big play threat on the Jags. The Steelers have been hit for a lot of big plays 
this season. So again, Calvin Ridley, another one of these sort of overlooked forgotten guys that is very interesting on this slate. And then T Higgins, the other one as this, these forgotten guys at wide receiver where T Higgins, it's been years that he's been priced at like 6,500 and above 6,500 to 7,200. And people are playing him at that price tag. Uh, Week one, the let's keep in mind, first off, that Jamar Chase was, was his stats were really bad at the start of the season, too, because Joe Burrow looked really bad and Joe Burrow couldn't move in the pocket. And so week one, T. Higgins, zero points. OK, the whole offense did horribly in bad weather against the Browns with Joe Burrow on this busted calf. Uh, so let's throw week one out. We throw week one out for all of these uh, players on the Bengals offense. Week two, T. Higgins, 28.9 DraftKings points. Week three, another game where Joe Burrow looked really bad. The offense looked really bad. And T. Higgins put up 4.1 DraftKings points. Week four, not only did the offense look bad, and that was the game where it was like, man, Joe Burrow's calf is really bad because it was against the Titans. And it was like, man, people smashed this Titans pass defense. It's time for Burrow to step it up. And then you watch the game and he literally couldn't move. Every play was out of shotgun. Uh, the pressure would get there and he would just take the sack. He couldn't even slide in the pocket. Uh, and T. Higgins got hurt about halfway through that game. So you look through the game logs and it's like, oh man, T. Higgins, zero points week one and three bad games in a row. Well, this third bad game in Seattle, Limited snaps, right? He missed week five with the injury, uh, came back early in week six in a game where it was like, man, the Bengals need to win this game. T. Higgins isn't quite ready. They'd love to hold him out through the bye, but let's bring him back. Let's bring him back and get him on the field because we just need that extra body on the field in this game we have to win. Again, played limited snaps in that game. So you look through the game logs and it's like T. Higgins had this one big game and then it's just duds across the board. But the context of that week one dud that bad weather, Cleveland defense, Joe Burrow not looking right, the offense not looking right, the offense scoring three points. Uh, context of the week three bad game, another bad game for the Bengals offense. Uh, context of the week four bad game, he got hurt and the offense looked really bad. Context of the week six bad game, he played limited snaps in that one. And now he's off the bye, should be healthy. People want to play Jamar Chase in this match against the 49ers because you can't run against the 49ers. 49ers have faced the third most wide receiver targets, allowed the third most wide receiver catches, uh, ninth most wide receiver yards, still a really good defense, but the only way to attack them is through the air. Cincinnati is second in the NFL in pass rate over expectation, so you know they'll be happy to pass in this game, and people don't want to play T. Higgins. So not to say that T. Higgins is like my favorite play of the bunch, and I want you to read you know, me isolating him and talking about him here as me saying like, oh man, I'm playing so much T. Higgins this week, but just to sort of illustrate what this week provides in that, yeah, A.J. Brown stands out. I mean, I love A.J. Brown this week. A.J. Brown stands out. There's going to be a lot of people playing Tyreek Hill. Uh, There's going to be probably a lot of people playing Christian Kirk and Jordan Addison and apparently Deontay Johnson, although I prefer George Pickens in that game. Probably a lot of people playing Zay Flowers and the Texans wide receivers. But there are other guys in this 5K price range who also stand out and are just going to go totally overlooked. So this 5K price range, I mean, it is a fountain of opportunity this week. We probably get multiple 25-point scores out of this 5K price range at wide receiver. Or I could say, you know, from from Kendrick Bourne at 40, what is he, 4,700, uh, all the way up to Chris Olave at 6,400. Take that price range. Uh, it's probable that we get two or more 25 plus point scores from this price range. So I'll definitely be mining this price range pretty heavily myself. Uh, We'll skip over the cheap wide receivers because again, we're just trying to get a feel for what this site provides and all the different things we can do. I'll touch on some of the cheap wide receivers I like in the player grid. Uh, And then at tight end, same type of thing, right? We've got all the way from Trey McBride, who everybody wants to play because Zach Ertz is out, all the way up to Tra- Travis Kelsey, who you know just last week showed what his ceiling is in this offense, in this role. Uh, and then in between, you've got Mark Andrews, you've got George Kittle, who we already talked about. We've got Dallas Goddard at 4,600, probably goes a little bit overlooked. Uh, and then the uh, Trey McBride's not the only cheap guy who is viable this week. Uh, Logan Thomas, interesting in a game where Washington is going to be passing. Uh, interesting note on that game, Philadelphia opponents have a 70.2% pass play rate. So teams playing against Philadelphia, 70.2% pass play rate. More than likely, fast forward to the end of the 2018 season, whatever team 
has the highest pass play rate, it's going to be like 66, 67, 68%, probably not even 68%, like 66, 67%. So the average quarterback against Philadelphia throws the ball at a higher rate than whatever will be the highest passing rate team in the NFL uh, throughout the season. So uh, on top of that, Washington third or fourth in the NFL in pass rate over expectation. And then they're playing this team that you can't run against and everybody passes against. So uh, Logan Thomas, interesting in that spot, obviously Terry McLaurin, Sam Howell, the whole, the whole, uh, passing attack for Washington. Interesting in that spot. Uh, Tyler Conklin, I'll talk about him a little bit more in the player grid. Uh, Jawan Johnson, who isn't even in ownership projections right now because he's missed the last couple of games and Taysom Hill has seen his receiving work spike with Jawan Johnson out. Jawan Johnson didn't have a, a hot start to the season, but Really good matchup. He's going to be back this week. Uh, Chigo Conquo, really good matchup. Should see four to six targets. So uh, just a lot to like at tight end across various price points. Um, and just another reminder of what this week looks like, where there's so many different ways that you can build a roster this week, and you don't want to box yourself into what everybody else is doing and just following along with that. It's one of those weeks where there's going to be probably a good number of solid scores from individual players in the NFL, uh, solid fantasy scores from individual players. And so mixing and matching those in a different way than how the field is mixing and matching them is going to give you an opportunity to find an edge this week. Uh, so that basically is kind of a unique angles podcast. We don't typically go tip uh, position by position. Uh, we typically talk from like more various angles on how the slate breaks down, but with 13 games and with so many pieces to like against uh, across so many different price points. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to really kind of walk through some of the options and we can see some of the data points and, and see some of the ways that these pieces fit together on this particular week. So don't box yourself into doing the same thing everybody else is doing. Don't box yourself into the same players everybody else is on. There are forgotten pieces on the site that people just won't be on. I'll touch on uh, some of my favorites in the player grid as always. And then there will be roster construction approaches that people just won't be on. Uh, like I said, Sam Darnold sucking away ownership from these other cheap quarterbacks, uh, some of these overlooked wide receivers. And, and on top of that, a lot of them provide leverage, right? So if you're if Christian Kirk ends up being popular and you're on Calvin Ridley and Calvin Ridley has a big game, he's also he's taking away points from those Christian Kirk rosters and helping you at low ownership. Uh, similar setup with T. Higgins, right? If T. Higgins has 28 points, then Jamar Chase is probably putting up 15, 16, 17. And so you're hurting the Jamar Chase rosters and helping your rosters at low ownership. Uh, so a lot of these places where we can pull certain levers and gain an edge if our guy ends up hitting an edge that's just that's bigger than just the points they're getting, uh, but also the points they're taking away from other rosters. Uh, with that, we are going to get to the last portion of the Angles podcast, the bottom-up build. So as we always do, we run through what the bottom-up build is, and then we do the bottom-up build. Bottom-up build started several years ago, and the concept was that one of the mistakes a lot of DFS players make is they start their rosters at the top. Who are the high-priced players I want to play? And what you'll find yourself doing is you're building a roster, and you have a bunch of pieces you like, and then you have 3,200 left in salary, and so you're like, you start looking at those guys who are 3,200 and you're like, oh yeah, like this guy could have a good game or this could happen. And this guy, I, I could see how this guy could hit. And so you end up kind of taking these bad value plays in order to fit in the high priced guys. So we started building a bottom up build roster where we would try to get in the, all of our, like kind of start from the bottom and see who was the player we would stop at and say, oh, I actually really like this play. I would actually be really happy to play this roster. We would put the bottom up build together and just see how much salary we had left over. Sometimes it would be 7K, 7,500, sometimes deeper into the season, pricing tighter. Uh, it might be 3K, 3,500. Um, then the bottom up build evolved into us saying, let's do it with a 44K salary cap and let's do a contest with a 44K salary cap. So you can find the bottom up build contest in the OWS Discord, you can find it linked in my player grid. 200 entries, rules are simple, build. It's a free free contest, uh, build with a salary cap of 44K or below. Uh, you win, first place is $250 worth of courses on OWS, second place is $150 worth of courses, and on down the line to fifth place. Uh, also, first place gets a special Discord color, uh, special color in Discord, so uh, everybody knows you are an OWS bottom-up build 
winner. Uh, finally, we used to use this to then also talk about roster construction techniques and strategy and theory. And this is kind of the one play, you know, we would say like, if everybody had a 44K salary cap, how would we think through the strategy on this and what we're trying to do? Um, that portion of the show has kind of be, been de-emphasized because with Inner Circle, which launched in 2021, we have weekly training that's always taking place. Um, and so not as important to get into the weeds on strategy on this type of roster because we talk about that in so many other places. But again, it gives us a chance to hit on some of the value pieces on the slate and then also gives me a chance to just talk through additional pieces and to talk through strategy for uh, how I wanted to build a roster or sometimes it's not even strategy in terms of what I think would win the bottom-up build contest so much as I want to put it together in this particular way because it gives me a chance to talk about these particular pieces. So with that, let's get to this week's bottom-up build roster. And we will start with where I started, which was Derek Carr, Chris Olave, and Josh Downs. Now, to be clear, this will not be necessarily, uh, I don't expect it to be a core approach of mine, Derek Carr plus Chris Olave. I mentioned it already in the show. Now we're doing the bottom-up build around it. So I want to highlight, it's not like, oh, this is going to be 20% of my rosters, but Derek Carr is very interesting. Derek Carr, a guy who's capable of throwing for 300 yards, a guy who's capable of throwing for three touchdowns. He put up 21.4 DraftKings points last week, only one touchdown. He put up 20.3 DraftKings points the week before, only one touchdown. So if he has a three-touchdown game, all of a sudden that's a 29-pointer, a 28-pointer. Uh, a guy who's 5,500 going against this indie defense that has been hit for some big passing games. Um, and like I said, Chris Olave hasn't done it yet. Only five touchdowns in his career, no two-touchdown games. And yet all these games where he's at or over 100 yards, or I should say near near or over 100 yards. And he will have that game probably this year, if not this year, then definitely next year where he's going over hundred yards and scoring two touchdowns. Uh, what's really interesting here is I don't typically play offensive pieces against the saints because the saints don't typically give up a lot of points. And even when they do, they're a defense that usually forces an offense to work to a lot of different pieces. Uh, so it's hard for a ton of the, offensive production to concentrate on one player against the Saints. This Indianapolis offense, though, uh, what I've said this week is, and I already talked about this earlier in the year, but you can't run against Tennessee, and yet Zach Moss had a monster game against Tennessee. You can't run against Baltimore, and yet Zach Moss had a monster game against Baltimore. You can't pick up yards through the air or on the ground against the Browns, and yet Indianapolis picked up a bunch of yards through the air and on the ground against the Browns. So this is one of those teams that I basically am going to have some stacks built around this offense every single week, the rest of the season, regardless of opponent. So not to say that I am going to have 20% exposure to the Indianapolis offense, but say maybe 6% of my rosters this week, even though I don't like the matchup against the Saints. I didn't like the matchup against the Browns last week either. Uh, looking for these opportunities where you can say, you know what, this is an offense. And, and uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier today on one of my podcasts was that Shane Steichen, uh, Nick Sirianni, who's the head coach of the Eagles, where Shane Steichen came from. Uh, Nick Sirianni was asked this week about the game against the Dolphins. There were some plays early in the game where the Eagles were letting the play clock go down, like lower than they normally do. And so he was asked, you know, was that a tactic to slow down the game a little bit and keep Miami off the field, which is a very common thing for teams to do against an offense like Miami. And Nick Sirianni said, oh, I didn't even notice that the play clock had gone down lower than normal early in the game a few times. Uh, and he said that was not, not on purpose. That was must've been a function of, you know, what the defense was throwing at us or how quickly we got the calls in or whatever. And he, he said, listen, we will never, we will never be an offense that is basically will never be an offense that is functioning as a team, trying to keep the opponent off the field. Uh, we will always be an offense that is trying to be as aggressive as we can and score as many points as we can as quickly as we can. And that's the same mindset that Shane Steichen has. And that's important to note because 
a lot of times these rebuilding teams or these teams that don't have all the pieces, what they're trying to do, these coaches are trying to protect their jobs and they're kind of playing to not lose. And they're playing for the fourth quarter, whereas Shane Steichen isn't looking at his personnel and saying, oh, okay, we should manage this game and just try to keep it close. He's saying, put on the gas. We're going to try to score points. We're going to be aggressive. Sometimes it's going to backfire on them, but there's going to be these games where the matchup doesn't set up well, and yet the Colts have a big game. And so uh, Colts, if you ride with me on this, where it's like, Every week, if you're doing MME, every week you have, you know, a four to six percent built around the Colts, even if the matchup's bad. Uh, we're all going to have a week where it's like, man, this Colts stack ended up winning us a bunch of money. Right. Uh, we, I wasn't on it last week. Maybe you were in that horrible matchup against the Browns. Most people were not. But there's going to be another game like that. There's already been three of these instances already where. Nobody was playing Zach Moss against Tennessee. Nobody was playing Zach Moss against the Ravens. Nobody was playing the Colts against the Browns. And all three of those times would have been worth it to do so. So uh, put kind of this stack on here, A, to be able to talk about Carr and Alave, uh, but also to be able to talk about that Colts side of things. So a very interesting stack, not one that pops on paper, not, not one that pops in the research, but Carr, Alave, Josh Downs. Uh, gives us something unique in this bottom-up build, gives us something that has high ceiling in this bottom-up build. Again, Carr can go for 27, 30 points. Alave can go for 30 points. These two could combine for 60 points. That is within their range of outcomes. Uh, and Josh, if they're doing that, then Josh Downs can go for 20 to 25 points as well. Uh, but then also gives us a chance to talk about that situation. Uh, another situation I want to talk about is the Houston rushing attack. So, Houston started out the season, uh, I think it was a game of 44 pass attempts, a game of 47 pass attempts. Hooray, uh, Houston wants to pass the ball. Turned out they were trailing in both of those games, and that was why they were throwing the ball so much. Three games since then, uh, or four games since then, two of them have been 30 pass attempts. One of them was 35 pass attempts. One of them was 27 pass attempts. Uh, and all of them were, I actually had it written down, but I don't know exactly where it was, but all of them were relatively high rush attempt numbers as well for the backfield as a whole. So uh, this is, uh, here we do, I do have it. Okay, um, those four games, the Houston backfield combined for rush attempts of 25, 20, 31, and 24. Uh, some interesting rush attempt numbers against Carolina. I just picked out four games last night just to get a sense. Uh, 22 rush attempts against Carolina, 21 rush attempts, 29 rush attempts, 25 rush attempts. Carolina faces the highest opponent rush play rate in the NFL. They are so easy to attack on the ground, and they tend to be trailing in games that teams attack them relentlessly on the ground. Then we have this Houston team that wants to be more run balanced than pass balanced, and so we should expect Houston to be attacking on the ground in this game. Uh, so what's the drawback with Damian Pierce? Well, two things. One, he hasn't looked great this year. The offensive line hasn't looked great this year. Two, in the last time we saw Houston on the field, Devin Singletary got a bunch of snaps. Devin Singletary got a bunch of touches. So how I'm looking at this is, first off, pretty clear to me that Houston will attack on the ground in this game. Every team does it against the Panthers. Uh, that has been Houston's preferred approach to games, even though they haven't been running the ball all that well. So that should continue this week. So that part of the equation is already taken care of for us. The question then becomes, is, is this like a true split backfield now? And is there any chance that the offensive line and Damian Pierce actually look better this week? So in terms of it being a true split backfield, we don't know. But in terms of how NFL teams typically handle things, it's less common, far less common for roles to change dramatically six weeks into the season than it is for there to be a game plan specific setup that leads to roles changing for that one game. So if we take all of the instances in the NFL across the last 10 years where we have sort of outlier usage for a game, that is far likelier to signal a game plan specific setup than to signal something that is going to change moving forward. So uh, in that regard, I feel not confident, but relatively comfortable believing that Damian Pierce will remain kind of this 16 to 22 to 24 carry back. He has a game this year with 20 carries. He has a game this year with 24 carries. Uh, his other games, 11, 15, 14, and 13. The 11 and 15 were those two high pass attempt games. So 14, 13, 24, and 20 in the low pass attempt games. Uh, Furthermore, matchup-wise, Jags, not a great matchup on the ground for Houston. 
Uh, Atlanta, really tough run defense. New Orleans, really tough run defense. Pittsburgh's been bad against the run. Uh, that was the game where Damian Pierce got 24 carries. Uh, so then the next thing to think about is, can the offensive lines step it up? Can Damian Pierce step it up? So uh, this is a totally new run scheme for Houston, for the offensive lineman, for Damian Pierce, with Bobby Slowick bringing in this outside zone run scheme that requires the running back to be looking at and looking for very different things than Damian Pierce was looking at and looking for last year. So what does an NFL team use the bye for? They don't use it as two weeks to prepare for the next opponent. They use the first week of the bye to self-scout, to find the places where they need to be improving, to find the things that they need to fix. So if you are in the Texans coaching room, very much one of the things that would stand out to you that you need to fix is this run game. So we don't know, right? We don't know if Damian Pierce is now in a split workload with Devin Singletary. We don't know if Houston fixed their run game problems. But if we take all of the situations like this, we can say more often than not, it wouldn't mean that they're now a split backfield. It would mean that it was just a game plan specific thing. If we take what we know about how teams handle the buy, we can feel really confident that Houston tried to figure out during the buy how to improve their run game. And then they're playing this Panthers team that is so easy to run against that you would think this would be something of an emphasis heading into this game. So Damian Pierce, not a high confidence play for me, but a very interesting play in that he can go for 20 to 24 points and he's going to be really low owned in this spot. Uh, and he's only 5,300. So Damian Pierce goes on to the bottom up bill. Damian Pierce will be on a chunk of my rosters this week. Uh, we will wrap up the running back position with Isaiah Pacheco. I won't go too deep into this, but uh, the role is there. The matchup is there. The touchdown scoring opportunities are there. Uh, just a really solid play this week. So that gives us starting point of Derek Carr, Chris Olave, Josh Downs as the bring back, Isaiah Pacheco, and Damian Pierce. Tight end, I've got George Kittle. Already talked about him. No need to go any deeper on that, but definitely want to have some exposure. Way overweight the field to George Kittle, who looks like he's going to come in with low ownership projections, though that might change uh, as we get in deeper into the weekend. Uh, George Kittle at tight end. Uh, Kendrick Bourne at wide receiver. I would have loved to have gotten up to Drake London or Terry McLaurin or one of those uh, sort of higher ceiling guys. But uh, Patriots, uh, uh, it's all going to be in the player grid. The Patriots offense sets up better than most people will realize in this spot. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, obviously, um, heavy usage, kind of the only guy on the Patriots offense who is seeing consistent snaps at wide receiver. Uh, you know, he's got these four games of 8.6 or fewer DraftKings points. But then, then his other three games, 17.3, 19.3, 24.4. At his price tag, those 17 to 24 point games would be really nice to land. So uh, Kendrick Bourne, an interesting piece here. Uh, and then we'll wrap up this roster with our cheap defense is the Vikings and our cheap wide receiver to help us unlock all this is Brandon Powell. Uh, I put them on here together because I want to mention uh, that Brandon Powell is the punt returner for the Vikings. So how often do you get a punt return touchdown? Not very often, but on the off chance that you get one, uh, you can double up those points because Brandon Powell will get the six points. The Vikings defense will get the six points. So that's 12 points gained for that punt return touchdown. If Brandon Powell was a bad play, then you wouldn't want to do this just for that double up. But Brandon Powell is somebody who's probably on your radar as one of the cheap guys to consider a four to six target expectation in this game with Justin Jefferson out. He has score from anywhere on the field ability slash upside. Uh, and then you probably eyeing the Vikings as well. They're one of the more popular cheap defenses this week. So if both of those are in your player pool, go out of your way to get them on a few rosters together, just in case. Uh, if they're not in your player pool, I wouldn't go out of my way to get them in your player pool just for this correlation. But if you've already been thinking about playing Brandon Powell, already thinking about playing the Vikings defense, uh, that's one to try to get on a few rosters together as well. That gives us a final roster of Derek Carr, Chris Olave, Josh Downs, Isaiah Pacheco, Damian Pierce, uh, Brandon Powell and Kendrick Bourne wrapping up wide receiver, George Kittle at tight end and the Vikings defense costing us 43.9 K in salary uh, leaving us 6.1K left over. As always, uh, get your bottom-up build roster in. It's really cool to see what happens with those. A um, couple of weeks ago, we had somebody score 190 points with their bottom-up build roster. We've had weeks before where people scored 200 points with their bottom-up build rosters, spending 
under at or below 44K in salary. So uh, really cool to see what people are able to put together with these restrictions. Great thought exercise, great way to get a better, better feel for the slate. And then you start realizing, man, I built a roster I really like, and I've got 6K in salary left over. Like now I can really move around pieces and, and get even more ceiling on this type of roster. So um, yeah, jump in that. Probably some spots left as you're listening to this. If there are not, then hop in next week. Uh, with that, as always, thanks so much for hanging out. Appreciate you hanging out with me here uh, on this solo podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, watching my box in a screen on your phone or your computer, if you're listening on uh, the OWS podcast feed, hanging out with me there. We will see you on the site throughout the weekend. My player grid will be going live Friday evening. Uh, the rest of our content and scroll will come in Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, get you ready for the week eight slate. So we will see you on the site throughout the rest of the weekend. We will see you at the top of the leaderboard on Sunday. Sunday.